doors are open. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We are praying the promise from Jeremiah 31 verse 25 where God says, I have satisfied the weary soul. I have replenished every sorrowful soul. We're praying for a spiritual renewal in our lives during these days. We have seen that God gives second chances. He is a God that renews. And I'm glad for the times in my life when I have needed that renewal. It's come at different times. Sometimes it's a renewal of repentance where I've needed to repent of something that is sinful in my life and I needed to turn from it, needed to change. At other times, it's just been a, a spirit of weariness. And um, as it mentions in Jeremiah, the weary soul. And I'm glad that God renews our weariness. At other times, it's what we'll look at this morning is times when our love needs to be renewed. We've seen that God gives a renewed hope. God gives uh, hope when our hope has been taken away. But I believe that the word for us this morning, and I feel very strongly, very seriously about this, is this text in Revelation chapter 2, that we need to evaluate and understand we need a renewed love to rekindle the fire of our hearts and the passion for God, not just for the things of God. I hope we understand it is possible for us to have a heart for the things of God, the work of God, the truth of God, and yet, unawares, our love for God Himself, our fervor of the Spirit, our passion for Christ to have waned and for us to have walked away from that. I hope that you will do as I have done in this passage this week, that this morning you will look at this truth, that God will speak it into your hearts, and that you will join me in a call to asking God to renew our love for Him. In Revelation chapter 2, as we get into this text, you know that in Revelation 2 and 3 there are seven letters that are written to seven different churches in the area of Asia Minor. What was then Asia Minor is today modern Turkey. These were actual churches with actual people uh, that faced actual challenges. Uh, there are some trends that you can see, and some people try to pinpoint these through history. I believe that there are cycles that churches go through in which we're at these different, at different times. I believe that as individual believers, there are times when we, are, we find ourselves in these different churches in these areas. And I believe that there are some churches that fit within these. So we see these elements, we see these truths throughout. But I want you to see them this morning because I believe that perhaps this is the, this is the word that God is speaking to us in this moment, in this time. Because I see some similarities between where the church at Ephesus was and if we're not careful where we will be. And so I call us today to a renewed love for God. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, unto the church of the, the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Let me pause a minute and say that with each of these seven letters, it will begin with the description of Christ, a portion of the description of Christ that is given in Revelation chapter 1. When John first sees the risen Christ and he sees him exalted and he is overwhelmed in his presence. And so there are different attributes, different characteristics that are described of Christ in chapter 1, and as each of these letters begin, he uses a different part of that description. 
Here he describes Christ as the one that holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works. It's important for us to remember that God knows where we are spiritually. God knows it's easy for us to come to church and put on a front that we pretend that we are somewhere spiritually. We raise our hands at the right moment as the choir sings. We put our money in the offering plate. We sing the songs. We amen the preacher. We amen the preacher. Come on, don't make me beg for this. This is embarrassing. We know all the right things to do, and we do them at the right time and at the right moment, and we can put on a front that is nowhere near where our heart is. And we know, how to, we know how to do that, but God, God knows our works. At other times, there's times where we do works that nobody else knows about. And I'm glad that God knows my works. I'm glad God knows your works. Not every work for God is done in a spotlight. Sometimes it's done in the dark or in the shadows, and it's done where nobody sees what's going on. God says to the church, I know your works and your labor and your patience, and how you cannot bear them which are evil, and you've tried them which say they are apostles that are not, and you found them to be liars. There are several things that God commends this church for. This is not the church of Laodicea. This is the church that is strong, and God knows it. God says, I know your works. I know your labor. He knows their service. They have labored for Him. They are doing work for Him. This is not a stagnant church. This is not an inactive church. This is not a church that's just a social club. This is a church where the people within it are actively engaged in doing the work of God. Not only their steadfastness or their service, but their sacrifice. The word there is labor. He says, I know your labor. It's the word that means to labor to the point of exhaustion. To labor to the point of exhaustion. These are not fair weather Christians. These are not weekend warriors. These are not those who do just enough to feel better about themselves for having served God. These are those who have worked and labored and they have invested and they have poured themselves into it to the point of being exhausted. He says, I know your service. I know your sacrifice, their steadfastness. He says, your patience. It means to endure under trial. This was a church that lived in a culture of paganism. This was a church that was surrounded by those who could potentially put them to death for naming the name of Christ. This was a church that was under persecution and facing great trials. And he said, you have persevered, you have endured under great trial. This is a solid church. There are good things taking place. He says, I know your separation he said, you've tried them. You can't, you can't stand people that are evil. And you've tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and you found them to be liars. This would be very close to John's heart. In First and Second, Third John, John talks about purity within the church, about doctrinal purity, about the truth. Second John is an epistle that emphasizes the truth, and he says that there comes any to you and doesn't have the doctrine of Christ. Don't let them in your doors. Don't receive them. And this church has done that well. 
This church has said, hey, these guys that are coming and claiming to be apostles, and they're doing what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, they're preaching a gospel that is not another gospel. There is no other gospel, and they're preaching a false teaching, and we're not going to receive them. This church was doctrinally sound, and they separated from those that were against the gospel. Sound like a pretty good church. I'm going to be honest. I, thank God I've never had to church shop. That's one of the privileges of being in the ministry. You just go where you... <laughs> I'm, I'm at Central. I, I would be here anyway. But I'm, I'm here every church that I've ever been a member of, I think I've, I've worked at. So I've not had to go through what some people go through to shop for churches and decide. But I'm going to tell you that this church hits a lot of good points of what I would look for. I would look to see what, what is their doctrine. I would look to see what is their, um, what kind of work do they have going on? Are they just gathering for fun, just a fellowship kind of church? Are these a faith, is this a faithful church that is serving and working? And do they have a testimony of a long-term mission of the gospel? And I would look at Ephesus and I'd be like, man, this is the kind of, if they had a good website, that'd be the church I'd go to. If they live streamed the services, it'd be even better. This is a solid church, and God says, I know your works. But look at the next verse. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen. Repent, do the first works, or else, look at this, I will come to you quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. This thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, more doctrinal purity. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We pause this morning and say that my prayer in this service is that the Holy Spirit preaches to you. And if you have the ear of faith to hear, that you will hear what God is saying to us this morning. Because I believe that this is a key truth for us right now. Why do I say that? Because I look at the church of Ephesus and I see some similarities to Central Baptist Church. I see that as I look at this passage and I look at our example, like Ephesus, we're steadfast in our duty. The work that God has called us to do. What is the work of the church? What is the task of the church? It is the task of the gospel. It is the task of the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And by God's grace, we are endeavoring and have endeavored for years to proclaim the gospel around the world. And as we look to the year ahead, there is still much work to be done. And I am not saying that we should stop doing what we're doing. I'm saying that is something that God commends the church for, for being steadfast in what God has called us to do. There are some of you who have served faithfully in various places of service in our church and in our community and in gospel work. And there are many of you who give every year, through your faithful missions giving, through your faithful offerings every week, through our chest of Joash, all of that, you have been a part in the work of the gospel. And we're diligent about that. I was sitting down this week just to jot down and think through some of the things that have taken place this past year, and I thought about the missionaries, one that I was able to meet just this week, and we've supported them for over probably 10 or 12 years, and they're faithfully proclaiming the gospel, and they are able to serve and minister because of the faithful missions giving of Central Baptist Church. 
And I think about because of the offerings that have been given and the work that has been done, the church in the Philippines that we were able to be a part of and helping them build a building, and they're worshiping in this building, they're serving God, they're proclaiming the gospel in this church. And the building that's going up in the Dominican Republic that in just a few weeks they will dedicate, that we were able to be a part of, to invest in them so that they have a place to meet and a place to worship. And the gospel is being proclaimed from its pulpit. And the work of God is going forward. And we're able to be a part of that. And the mission partnerships that we have been and will be a part of. In just a few weeks, um, Pastor Jeremy and a team are going to be going to New York City to partner with the church to share the gospel and to, boy, talk about a mission field. They're going to be on the, they're going to be on the, front, they're on the battlefield for the Lord. They're, they're going to be sharing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. And then our mission trip in just a few weeks to Montana to preach and encourage the churches there. And I think of this work that we're doing, and we just came through Judgment House and 50 souls that we know of that trusted Christ as their Savior, many other decisions that were made, and work that goes on every single week that you're a part of. That's being diligent and steadfast in our duty. We're doing what God called us to do. We're to the be- Is there more to be done? Yes. Can we do it better? Yes. Will we continue to move forward in this? Yes. But we have been doing what God has... Our works, our labor. And I'm glad that they're not in vain in the Lord. When I look at the church of Ephesus, I see that like them, we're sound in our doctrine. We believe in the Word of God. We believe in the message of the Gospel. The Word of God is our foundation of all of our faith and practice. Amen? Let's try that one more time. The Word of God is the foundation of all our faith and practice. I'm pulling eye teeth a little bit this morning. The word of, we're, we're seeking to be true. We're seeking to teach all the things that Jesus commanded us discipling, not just bringing folks to Christ, but helping them to grow in Christ and to know the truth. Just like the church at Ephesus. That's our desire. That's our work. And that's what we're doing. We're sincere in our devotion. Notice that they did this in verse 3. For thy names, for his name's sake. All of this, our desire is to glorify God. When we come together and worship and when we work together and we serve together and we've just sung these songs. What is our desire? Our desire is not to just feel good for doing them. Our desire is to do this for the name of Christ. And the spirit of our worship, I love to be able to come in on Sunday morning and experience the Holy Spirit at work and the singing and the music and the expressions of worship that take place. What a wonderful experience that is and what a wonderful blessing that is. And we're doing this for the name, for Christ's name's sake. But just like the church at Ephesus, we are susceptible to a very real danger. And that is the danger of leaving our first love, of falling. He says, remember from whence you have fallen. And so I think it's important for us to stop and say, Apart from all the wonderful things that are going on, apart from all the work that we're engaged in, apart from all of all that takes place, do we have that passion for Christ? Do we have that love, that first love, the fervor of the Spirit? Do we have that 
that passion that burns within our souls, as the old preacher says, you get a, a bad case of the can't help it. That's what they lacked. Let me point out a few things to you this morning. What do we need to ask God to renew us from, to have that renewed love? First of all, let's pray that God will renew us from a spirit of complacency. I've listed off a number of things that have taken place just in this past year, and there have been many things that have gone on for many, many years previously. And we've been faithful, and you've been faithful, and this church has been faithful, and its leadership has been faithful. It is easy for us, if we're not careful, to become complacent in our work for God, to reach a plateau. When you first start out, serving God can be challenging. It can be difficult, and you're pushing, and you're trying, and you're working, and you're striving, and it's difficult, and you're challenged. But after a while, you reach that point of where you feel comfortable doing that service for God because you've done it so much, you, okay, I can do this now. I'm not as nervous about it as I used to be. And it just sort of flows and it comes natural. And there's a tendency to sort of settle into that. This church of Ephesus could very well have settled into a complacent spirit by simply saying, look, look at all the good things we're doing. Yeah, God, yeah, sure, you, maybe we've left our first love. Maybe our passions died a little bit. But look at all the good things we're doing. Spirit of complacency, spirit of comparison goes along with this. They could very easily and rightfully so compare themselves to others. They could have said, hey, Look at this bunch we don't have anything to do with. Look how better we are than them. And they would have been right. You see, the problem is not that, we're not, that there's not truth to it. It's a problem. That's, that's not our focus. And we can look over here. Man, they could have looked at these other six churches and said, wow, we're certainly doing better than nearly all of them. I mean, sure, we're not Philadelphia, but we're not Laodicea either. In fact, we're up here at the top. God commends us. God's happy with us. God is satisfied with us. And God says, I like what you're doing. I like what you stand for. But I want something a little more. A spirit of casualness. I don't mean that we dress casually. There's all people all over the board on that of where you're supposed to when you come to church. I'm talking about a, a casual attitude towards sin. We take sin casually. Now listen to me carefully. We live in a culture that has normalized much sin, and we've become so accustomed to it that it no longer bothers us. It no longer offends us. We have normalized deviancy and called it a lifestyle choice, and it's become accepted. We have normalized lust, and it's become accepted in many, many forms in our culture. We have normalized, <laughs> let's get off what everybody else is doing. We've normalized gossip, and we've called it just sharing our heart and it's become acceptable. But let me tell you what God says to them. You have normalized a loveless service for me, and it's become acceptable to you, but it is a sin. You see, for a long time in my life, I read this passage, and I felt like if my love for God was not where it ought to be, oh, that's, 
That's sad. I need to do something about it. It's not just sad. God says it's sin. What does he say? Repent. Repent says that I'm saying the same thing about sin that God says about it. That I take it just as seriously as God does. And we sit in church and we're satisfied with what we've done. And there's times where I've sat and I've been pleased with myself because I'm doing the things God's called me to do. And I'm fulfilling those commands and I'm doing all these great things and I'm sound in my truth and I'm sound in my doctrine. And God speaks to my heart and God convicts my heart. And out of a, out of a voice of love, He says, I want you to love me. You see, I'm serving Him with my flesh. I'm serving Him with my mind. But God says to love me with all your strength and all your mind and all your heart. And it's the love of God that cares enough about this sin in my life. And here's the danger. The danger is, is that we cannot even be aware of it. This church would not have been aware of this need if God hadn't spoken through His apostle. If God had not given this word, if God had not said to them, this is a sin that you need to repent of, that you need to turn from. And how many times have I sat in church satisfied and pleased with myself? And God is saying, you're loving me with, my, with your strength. You're loving me with your mind. But I want your heart. Your first love. This church was casual. This church was complacent. And if we're not careful, we'll be in the same place. As I think about this church and I think about where we are, I think about being completely unaware that this is what God is saying to us. That's why he says, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. Because you may be sitting here this morning, and there may be somebody here this morning, and maybe you're as close to God, you love God as much as you ever did, and I praise God for that. But what's scary is that we could be in this place and we wouldn't know it apart from a word from God. See, what happens is, is we settle in, and we get accustomed, and we get comfortable, and before long, we're so comfortable that we can't do anything about it, and it's too late. And that's what he says, if you don't do something right now, I'm going to come quickly and I'm going to take the candlestick out of his place. I'm going to take the power off of your church. I'm going to take the anointing off of your church. A number of years ago, I heard a pastor share a story. He said that when he was a kid, Grew up on a small farm. He said that one of the things that his family loved to eat was frog legs. Some of y'all, I just lost you. I'm sorry. but He said behind their house, there was, there was a pond, a marshy area. And he said every night they would hear these frogs begin to holler and chirp and carry on and he said his mom told him, said, boys, if y'all go out there one night and capture some of those frogs, I'll cook you. Y'all been after me to cook you some frog legs. I'll cook you some frog legs. And so they went out one night on a Saturday night, gathered up a whole bucket full of frogs. She said, I'll fix them for you tomorrow after church. When we get back from church tomorrow, 
we'll come in and we'll have frog legs tomorrow, the, tomorrow afternoon. He said they were beside themselves. They couldn't wait to taste those frog legs. How many of y'all have ever eaten frog legs, by the way? Most of you. I'm impressed. So they got these frogs, and he said the next morning they got home, next afternoon they got home from church, and he said his mom went upstairs to change her clothes, and he said um, we went into the kitchen. He said we, we boys decided we were going to help her um, get these frogs. And so they brought the bucket of frogs in, and he said we got a great big pot of water, and he said we went out on the back porch and we pumped that pot full of water and brought it inside, and he said we put it on the stove and turned up the heat so that the water would start preparing to boil and would get warm, so that would save mom some time when she got down there. He said mom was upstairs changing, and he said the time came when the water began to boil, and little bubbles would pop up and come to the top, and he said the water got to a boil, and he said, so we started grabbing frogs. He said, me and my brothers grabbed a frog in each hand, and he said, we started throwing them into the pot. He said that first frog went and went into the water. He said, said it went flying off across the kitchen. And another frog went flying across the kitchen. He said, we were throwing frogs in. Frogs were going out. We were catching them, putting them back in. And he said, frogs were all over that kitchen. He said, his mom came in and she said, boys, what are y'all doing? They said, well, mom, we're trying to help you. We're trying to cook these frogs. She said, hey, you're going about it all the wrong way. She said, I want you to get these frogs gathered back up. And then I want you to take that pot of water and I want you to take it outside and I want you to pour it out. He said, Mom, you don't know how much work it took us to fill that. She said, go pour the... But Mom, it's hot. It's ready. She said, go pour it out. So they went out and poured the water out off the back porch. She said, now fill it back up again. So they pumped the water, filled the pot back up. She said, now put it back on the stove. Mom, you don't understand. Those frogs are not going to stay in that water. She said, put the water on the stove. So they put the water up on the stove. She said, now put the frogs in the water. <laughs> Mom, we've already tried this, and it's not going to work. She said, put the frogs in the water. Yes, ma'am. So they took the frogs, and they put them down in that nice, cool water. The frogs settled down to the bottom, and they sat there, comfortable. She said, now I want you to turn the stove back on. Mom, wait a minute now. Those frogs are coming out of that. What are we going to, they're going to be all over the place. She said, turn the stove on. Quit talking back and turn the stove on. How many of your moms ever said, quit talking back? That's about as many as eight frog legs. It must be something that goes, some of you still say it. I'm seeing some kids raising their hand. They turned the heat on. The water began to heat up. The frogs sat there, comfortable. Just sat there, didn't do a thing. The heat began to rise. They moved around a little bit, bumped into each other. Frogs just sat there. The water started to begin to boil. Little, tiniest little bubbles started going up, and one of them bumped into a frog, and he moved over, and, but he stayed there. Before they knew it, before those frogs knew it, the water was boiling. And by then, it was too late. By the time they were aware of what was going on, it was too late for them to do anything about it. Let me tell you that we're sitting in water. We're sitting in warm water. And before we can know it, just gradually, 
little bit at a time, our love for the Lord begins to wane. That first love begins to, and we're getting further away from it. We're walking. He said, you have left your first love. And the problem may be that we may be so far away. We may, we may be past the point of which we can do anything about it. And God says, unless you do something now, you have that opportunity. You have right now to do something about it. I will come and I will take the candlestick out of his place. The witness. Without love, God says, there will be no light. This morning, I believe God's speaking to us. And I call you to and invite you to calling on God for a renewed love for Him. This church, Ephesus, needed to hear this word from God. They would not have been aware of their lack of love otherwise. They would have looked at every other indicator and would have said, we're okay. This morning, I'm listening to the voice of God, and I believe God is speaking to us. You need your love for me renewed. You need your passion for me renewed. You need the fervor and the power of the Holy Spirit renewed in your lives and in your church so that we can say, I don't just love God with my strength. I don't just love God with my mind, but I love Him with all of my heart. Will you bow with me for prayer this morning? In this invitation... I'm inviting you to join. I'm calling you to join in calling out to God for a renewed love. If we're going to do the task, the work that God has for us to do as a church, if we're going to, as individuals, be faithful to Christ, we need to renew our love for Him. Father, speak to hearts, we pray, in this time of invitation. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to work and do what only 